Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, back here in the Charlotte NBC Sports Studios, joined by, from his home in Arizona, Dale Jarrett, NBC analyst. And DJ, we're here to talk about Martinsville. Happened yesterday. Kyle Larson finally solves Martinsville Speedway, a track that he said he never would have thought he'd win here. And then it all kind of worked out for me there at the end. We had a great car. That was the best my car had been, I think, you know, being able to get out front and manage. But, uh, yeah, I never, ever would have thought that I would won here at Martinsville. This place has been so tough on me. Um, just does not suit my driving style at all. Uh, I like to charge the center. I like to roll momentum, and uh, that's just not what this place is, is like. But thanks to Cliff Daniels and everybody for, for making me feel like I know what I'm doing sometimes around here. So I uh, just can't believe it. This is amazing. I, I have... I honestly have never thought that I would win here, so I don't have a spot picked out either for the clock. So I'm going to have to uh, make some space for sure. DJ, we've talked about this over the years. I mean, going all the way back to his rookie season in 2014, this was really like a house of horrors for Kyle Larson. I mean, I, I think there was even one uh, instance when he was with Ganassi where I think the team got frustrated with him because they felt like he wasn't giving his best effort because, again, he was just so disillusioned with trying to get around this place. So what do you make of a driver like Kyle Larson here, what, 10 seasons into his cup career, finally solving one of the trickiest tracks in terms of rhythm and getting around Martinsville? Kudos to him because many of us did never figure it out, no, long, no matter how long our careers were. But um, it, it is such a different racetrack. And, and the technicalities uh, of driving there and doing well are, are so different than anything that – someone like Kyle Larson grew up doing uh, because he didn't run this type of track in stock cars. Uh, you know, even if it's late model cars, he, that's not something that he was privy to as to what to do. And with the lack of, of being able to go to tracks and test, you know, Jeff Gordon will add, he will admit that, you know, Martinsville was something that he couldn't adapt to quickly and it was a test session there many years ago that it finally came to him what he needed. And he was able to get his cars to do that all the time, regardless of when they changed and, and knowing exactly what he needed to do to make the most and maximize his talents there. And I think Kyle Larson finally worked hard and, and figured this out. Not that there's not going to still be challenges because uh, it's such a different and tough track. And, and I will have to say that sometimes when you have a track, that you're not performing well at, the harder you try, the, the worse off you are. And it's just finding small things that you need. And overdriving Martinsville 
is the absolute worst thing you can do as a driver. But sometimes it's just not in your makeup as a driver not to attack, attack, attack. But the drivers that you see that have done well there and have multiple wins through the years are, are drivers that figured it out that the, the amount of braking and, and off-throttle time and, and what you do in that off-throttle time are what is going to maximize and be best for you. But it was great to see Kyle Larson have a good day and, and all the hard work and efforts that he's put in through the simulator uh, finally paid off for him there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up that light bulb switch moment that Jeff Gordon had here. Obviously, he's one of the greatest all-time winners at Martin. And we heard the same thing from Jimmy Johnson, from Tony Stewart. And I want to get to that, DJ, and get your thoughts on that. But first, I want to go back to what you were saying about how you have to approach Martinsville. I thought Parker Kligerman made an excellent point that certainly you can relate to as a golfer. Parker said on Motormouths earlier today that it's very much like a golfer kind of changing their swing. And Kyle Larson talked about how he's worked really hard with Josh Wise, who is you know a driver coach of some renown. Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Hey, a few minutes ago, Josh Wise tweeted a thread of, of, of thoughts about you winning and part of what he said is since 2017 I've watched him you push himself to learn at a track that he hasn't felt comfortable at one of the few the most notable part of that is that has remained at the track that he's put the most work into seeing KL win today is probably one of the coolest wins I've ever had a small piece in watching one of the greats push himself for years and finally get the reward that he's earned can you give us a sense of the work that you've had to put in the last few years that Josh is referencing? A lot of it has to do with Josh, for sure. And, you know, he's done a really good job at, like, pointing things out. You know, I, I think for so long when I came to Martinsville, yeah, everybody was like, oh, you got to back your entries up, get good exits and stuff like that. So, like, you work that into your brain and, and you tr try and drive that way. And, you know, over time, you know, through data and, and seeing how the good guys get around here, you know, I, I quickly realized that it's the opposite. You make your time on entry and and it's not about, you know, your good exits and and like the good guys, you know, kinda like can make time under the breaking zones and, and then hold that little bit of pressure at the end to turn still and, and get pointed for exit. And that's I feel like the the, the last hundred pounds of brake pressure has been something that I've I've worked really hard on and, and try to be pretty conscious of throughout the race today and this weekend and and, and I think that helped a lot. And, and it, I've I've worked a lot harder in the last, yeah, I mean, I guess seven-ish years than I probably ever did before. And I never, even with the work, I still didn't think that I would <laughs> ever win here. So, because there were so many times that I would put in hours of work and running on my iRacing simulator. And, and I've got data on there, too, so I can, like, kind of run and, and then go and look at my brake trace and stuff and try and see if what I was doing with my foot matched up to what guys like Chase and Denny do here. But, I mean, I would run hundreds of laps uh, and then still come here and be 20th or worse. So, yeah, putting in the work and continuing to put in the work and not giving up on it and then winning, it, it makes it feel really special. But with all that, you still have to have a great team and a great car. So... That's also kind of what makes this win special is that you know, my team was able to produce a setup that can you know, work for my, my style. Can you speak to that? And have, have you been in situations where you had to so-called change your golf swing at a track to improve your results there? Yeah, and I change my golf swing every time I play too. So I'm always <laughs> looking for something better. 
but yeah, you're exactly right. Um, you know, you you realize that at, at some point in time that attacking the corner, and especially with these cars that, that the drivers have today where they have a bigger brake package. And so they're not really having to take care of the brakes uh, the, the way we did in the past. Uh, because they don't build the heat uh, and they have that stopping power. So it would be easy to drive, to overdrive the, the corner even more getting there. But, but really everything comes down to not slowing your car down, allowing your car to, to actually work and, and do what it can do and carry the, your center, your corner speed there. Uh, because if you can carry speed through the center of the corner without overdriving the car and upsetting it, getting to that point, then you're not going to have to have as much exit speed. But if you get your car slowed down too much, you overdrive the corner, you're having to try to get it stopped and turned and may help the car to rotate all by using the brake. You're doing nothing but hurting yourself there. So you slowed down your speed. Now you feel like you have to stab the gas, which is not the right thing to do on the exit to get the tires hooked up and, and not abuse them. So um, yes, you're always, you have to change. And, and that's the great thing about being a race driver in the NASCAR series is that you encounter so many different types of tracks that, that requires you to change your style. So as a golfer, it's basically like if, if you hit a, if you're a right-handed golfer and you're trying to hit a draw that goes right to left and that's your predominant shot, and, but then you face a situation, a hole to where you need to hit a cut shot, which goes from left to right, that takes something totally different. So being willing to change, to, to be the best and, and feel like that you can win anywhere uh, is that ability to change and adapt to different situations. Can you relate to that at any tracks or Martinsville where you did change from a cut to a draw and the way you drove your car? Yeah, Martinsville, obviously one of those. Um, and a track that's much like Martinsville, just a half mile longer, is New Hampshire. Uh, at Loudoun, uh, it takes something different there, too. And, and it comes down to that braking side of it also. Uh, easy to overdrive the corners at Loudoun, uh, where you have higher speeds. Uh, then all of a sudden, you're not allowing your car and the tires and the, the spring shock combination that you have to actually do the job and and continue to carry that that pace and speed through the center of the corner. And then one, again, once you mess all of that up, uh, then you're going to overdrive the car on the exit of the corner also. So I think that was a place that, that I had to figure things out. And it took me a while to be able to do that. It's crazy that I, I actually think the, the two places, Martinsville and Loudoun, gave me as much problem in a cup car as anywhere else. And I actually believe I ended up winning the my only race at both of those tracks in the same year. So just a magical year in 2001 that everything came together. As you mentioned, it seems like it's happened for so many Hall of Famers like yourself. As you said, Jeff Gordon had it happen in a test session. Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, I think they either both alluded to it happened in a test session or it might have happened for Smoke when he was a lap down and just following Gordon and saying, OK, now I've got it. When you talk about those light bulb switch moments that drivers have, I mean, there's three of the probably the top 10 winners in Martinsville history and they didn't know how to get around this place at first, DJ. Like, what is it about this track that has that light bulb switch moment? Is it just that it's a rhythm place where it's not really about momentum? It's just about marks. And is it is it just that simple? Yeah, you know, I think that your tendency, because you can easily overdrive, is to do that. And so once you figure something out, 
you can go there on a test session and, and you can figure out something that may make you go faster and, and your lap time shows something. But then you figure out, then you go and you get in competition and you realize that, oh, okay, well, that made me go faster there, but I can't pass anybody. So it, you, you might make speed in a certain way, but figuring out how to translate that speed into to adaptability when you get in competition and make passes is something totally different. And that's what the good drivers there have figured out, that, that they did things that not only created speed, but understanding that whenever you are at Martinsville to, to make a pass, it's not just about having the most horsepower or turning the most RPMs on the exit of the corner. It's about having your car to do what it needs to do in the center of the corner and how you get to that point that's going to allow you not only to create speed, but also passing opportunities. It's great insight, DJ. And again, like Kyle Larson breaks through, and I don't think we're going to sit here and say today that this means he's going to go on a Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Jimmy Johnson type run or tear at Martinsville, but who knows? I mean, he literally is one of the greatest drivers in the world. And I want to read you a quote. He said, after this race, he alluded multiple times to the fact that he feels like he's back in 2021 championship form. He's now swept the uh, asphalt short tracks so far this season with wins at Richmond and Martinsville. And he said after Martinsville, Mark Garrow, PRN, Kyle, you come off a 10-win season to three-win season last year. You've won two races early this year. Does it start to give a feel like another maybe potential double-digit win season, winning two races early? I mean, I don't, I don't know about double digits. Like, that's pretty tough to do, and it's only happened a handful of times throughout the last, you know, couple decades, I guess. But I've told a lot of people around me, you know, when I go to dirt races and stuff, because they don't they don't follow it a whole lot, you know, competitors and stuff. They're like, oh, how, how how's your stuff this year? And uh, I tell everyone, I'm like, man, I think we're I think we're honestly close to as good, or just as good as we were in 2021. So I, I think in the races that we've finished and executed well, I think it's shown. We've been up front in every race. We've challenged for for wins we've shown and we've had winning speed at every single race um coda maybe arguably is our only race this year where we haven't been a contender on on speed at least for win the win but um yeah we were a top five car that day i thought so i've had a few dnfs but uh outside of that yeah we've been in the top two i think so um or top five four i guess with phoenix we had a shot to win there and fell back to fourth but yeah i, I do feel like we are close to what we were a couple years ago and we're winning at tracks i suck at so <laughs> that says a lot and that blunt larson candor that we hear there do we make too much of the fact that this is a place that again has just been a house of horrors for kyle larson he's really struggled here now he gets the win there does it feel a little bit like you know deja vu going back to that championship year a couple years ago uh this is and that that's all bad news for the competition that's all i can say because you know i the one thing that I noticed last year, uh, and you could kind of tell it in his voice and his demeanor uh, the beginning of this year uh, before he started winning, that this wasn't just the Kyle Larson that we saw have so much confidence in his abilities. Um, you know, I think it was taking its toll on him that, you know, so much last year with this new car, he just didn't seem to be as comfortable and as confident in his abilities. And Anytime that you have a little bit of doubt in your mind as a driver, that, that's going to show up on the racetrack. And 
now we're hearing and seeing uh, the, the Kyle Larson that we saw and then came to know as that champion um, and, and the season they put forth there. I, I, again, I don't know that we're going to get to that point, but he has certainly been up front. And, and now that he has the wins, I, I think that we're going to see a different Kyle Larson. And, and that does, you know, I joke about it, but in all seriousness, that, you know, that's not good for the competition. When you have a very confident, talented Kyle Larson uh, ready to go to battle each and every week, uh, then, then you know that that this could be a long season for a lot of people. And if there's anywhere else that he has to solve right now, and I don't know that he's all that worried about it because it's such different racing. But you look at Daytona and Talladega are probably his nemesis right now. But you know they don't really factor into the playoffs, so I don't think he's that concerned about it. We'll find out, I guess, this weekend. Talladega's <laughs> next up, but yeah. like you said, I mean, he's locked in the playoffs regardless. And if you're the competition right now, I think you're. A little bit nervous about the start that Kyle Larson and Hendrick Motorsports as a whole is off to. But we did see some signs, DJ, of some other organizations coming to the forefront at Martinsville. Certainly the top one, I think, would be Stuart Haas Racing. Ryan Priest wins the pole, leads a good chunk of the, the first half of this race, and then unfortunately gets caught for speeding and just gets shuffled out of contention after that. It's interesting, DJ, because I know you know the pole winner always picks the first stall. but in this case, it's a sponsor deal. There was a monster energy pit box in what is traditionally stall one. So the pole sitter for this race, Ryan Priest, was leaving from what is traditionally stall two, but it was stall one in this case. And that essentially is what caused Ryan Priest to speed. And he talked to Dustin Long and he told Dustin, I'm not going to say I didn't know. I didn't think it was possible to speed, but apparently I've gotten better at my launches out of pit, like out of the pit box and we spent so was that even a thought I, I mean it was something that i i asked early on and we didn't really have the answer for it and didn't think that it was possible but i guess anybody that was ever wondering if it's possible it's possible it sounded like they didn't get absolute clarity and obviously there wasn't enough room there where he could just mash the gas and go and not get caught for speeding so i guess a two-parter for you dj i mean what kind of effect is this on Ryan Priest, who's had, you know, not a great start already to 2023, finally gets something going in the right direction and then has this happen in his first full season at Stuart Haas Racing. And is it somewhat on the team that maybe they weren't as prepared for the fact that this could be a speeding situation should they have worn the driver? So so let's start there. Yes, I think that that but because of how technical everything is now and then, you know, what the drivers have to go off of inside their cars, that information should have been readily available to tell Ryan Priest, no, you can't jump out of here and just go full bore to that line uh, or you're going to get caught. So you're going to have to be a little more careful. And I realize that we're only talking about a number of feet, right. but that's all that it takes. You only need one foot really to, to make that difference uh, because of, of how the speeds are calculated now. And so I, so I, I put a little bit on them of, of not, having Ryan Priest in the total right frame of mind as to what he could and could not do in this situation. But I'll have to say that probably a little bit of it too might've been Ryan Priest giving it a little bit more because he, he was so excited about the weekend. You know, I talked to him at some uh, NBC shoot that we were doing this past week and he was so excited uh, mm -hmm. about going to Martinsville and the opportunity. He had me really believing 
sitting and talking with him that that he could go contend for a win. And, and I wasn't sure when I left there that that, that was 100% the truth. And, and then you watch qualifying and the speed that he had. I'm like, gosh, this guy really knows what he was talking about there. I know he's a great short track racer and, and he's a great racer all around. But he saw this as his opportunity. And I think that it was all of that together helped him make that mistake. Uh, my heart broke for him when I was sitting watching the race. I'm like, I'm not sure. I know he has a fast car, but you can see how with the pace not slowing down, how difficult this was going to be coming from the back. Uh, I still thought that he could make more of a run at it than that. But my only hope is that this wasn't his one and only chance before the playoffs to go win the race and, and get the victory lane and, and you know secure his spot in the playoffs. But he had an outstanding day, fast car, did his job. But it just shows you, too, we, we talk all the time about having to do everything right as a driver, as a team. No one can make mistakes, especially when you get on these short tracks where there's so many cars on the lead lap and the competition is so close, makes it so difficult. But just an outstanding day for him. I hope there's more runs like this because I know the beginning of the season, as you pointed out, hasn't been the best for him. But we saw exactly what this driver and team is capable of. Yeah, and it's such a tough balance, DJ, because he's coming off that disappointing start and he knows he's got to show something. And now he's on pole. He's got a fast car that can lead. And we know that this is probably Ryan Priest's last chance at making the cup series work. He's already had one full-time opportunity. Didn't work out, stepped away for a year. And now he's back in, I think what we'd all consider a really good ride. And, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that your heart breaks. I imagine you can relate to this you a few years to find your footing in cup and, you know, land that championship ride with Robert Yates racing. Where do you think it goes from here for Ryan Priest, DJ? Like how does the team, does Smoke sit down with him after a race like Martinsville? It's a great point. And I think that, yes, Tony Stewart will talk to him because the, the, the good thing for Ryan Priest is, is that, he has Tony Stewart in his corner. Uh, Tony is a huge fan of Ryan Priest. He, he, he knows what he sees in this driver, and he likes everything that he sees with him. So it could be a, a one opportunity, a one-year chance. Uh, but I, I have to believe in this, that Tony's going to tell him, look, relax, do your job. We hired you because you're capable of doing this job. And, and don't think of it as each and every week you have to get everything done. Just relax, and because sometimes the harder you try, the, the more difficult this can can be. So I, I really think that Tony Stewart will do what he's good at and what he is as an owner, and that's mentor young drivers like this and help them to understand that, hey, we're behind you here. Uh, learn from this and understand that not only does this every race and every lap take your physical talents to, to get the job done, but your mental capacity can't ever uh, take a lapse or a moment that that you're not thinking about everything that you have to do. Mental side is so important to driving a race car. Obviously, the physical side as well. And a driver who had missed several races because of the broken leg uh, that Chase Elliott had suffered in the snowboarding accident. Chase Elliott returns at Martinsville Speedway, finishes 10th DJ, which I feel like is fairly impressive given what he was dealing with. He said he, he was going to be comfortable in the car, but 
obviously when he's been out for essentially two months almost and having to come back and, and deal with a, with a track like Martinsville, which isn't easy, even though he's a former winner there. What did you see in Chase Elliott in the race that he ran at Martinsville and going forward? What other tracks, I guess, might be on his radar screen as he continues to heal from the leg? Yeah, yeah. And I actually questioned this a little bit about that because of the difficulty <laughs> uh, at Martinsville. Yeah. It's physically demanding uh, as a driver with everything that that you have to do there. I think he was probably glad that it was only a 400 lap race this time. You know, that helped him to manage through it. He did a great job. He, they finally got his car right. And I saw his comments uh, after it, you know, because up until the last hundred laps of the race, he wasn't very impressive. You weren't seeing anything, but you know, when you haven't been in the car and you haven't been competing, it's tough to jump back in. Everybody gets a little more of an advantage. They've been doing this. And so uh, makes it hard. Uh, to, to jump in there, especially at a difficult racetrack. But he, they got this car the best, and, and he drove his way up into a top 10 finish. So that, that was impressive. I know that generally we don't talk about a top 10 being impressive for Chase Elliott and his race team, but I think in this instance it was. I also don't know if he would have waited a week and said he's going to come back at Talladega. I don't know if that's ever a good idea. So uh, <laughs> uh, that's we'll see what happens there. It's, physically, it's not going to be a, a tough race for him. Uh, mentally, getting prepared for that. But you know, as you look ahead, uh, there's some tough races coming up. You know, I think two that stand out to me, uh, or maybe three, because Dover's a tough race race physically for you. Uh, but the, the two that come to mind are Darlington and, and then the Coke 600, uh, which is, you know, just a grueling race in itself. Uh, so I think those are going to be ones that he might have some difficulty with. Obviously, when we get back to road course racing, I think that could be a little bit of an issue, but hopefully he's fully healed and, and everything by that time. And, and when you look at, at what takes place inside the race car from that. But, uh, you know, I, I admire him for getting back at it. And, and, you know, it really was a job well done for him. It was. And I think a surprise, DJ, was uh, the performance of his teammate, William Byron, who won at Martinsville last year. Christopher Bell also won uh, the playoff cutoff race to advance to the championship round in Phoenix last year. Both Bell and Byron struggled quite a bit Sunday, which I think is surprising. I mean, that's those are two drivers I think a lot of people are, are saying are trendy championship four picks. Any concern to take away from what you saw with uh, Christopher Bell and William Byron? Yeah, they killed my fantasy lineup yesterday. <laughs> Both of them in there. That, I'm like, this is a lock. They're going to at least run in the top 10. And, and they really didn't even come close to that. But now that was very surprising to me uh, for, for both of them because they've been so good there. And, and so you wonder, yeah, because Christopher Bell in particular has been really good at pretty much every track this year. Uh, and especially, you know, good on the, the shorter tracks that you had to think that the short track package wasn't going to bother him. Was it that? Was it just something that they tried different? I know that every driver has an off day, but when you have two very talented drivers, like these two have been to start this season uh, for, for both of them to struggle. And I know that Byron was, hanging right around just outside the top 10 until after the last pit stop. And I think he was re reportedly having uh, a vibration of some type. So, you know, he lost 10, 11 spots there uh, late in the race. So that is a concern because, you know, both of them are needing points. Bell's still leading the point standings, which as I talked to him the other day, he had some interesting comments uh, when we were talking about if he could stay up there. And he felt like that they had some work to do, especially on the side of the pit crew performing at a high level, 
each and every week. You know, these are two young drivers that are trying to figure out how to win a championship now. They've shown they know how to win races, uh, but winning, you know, winning a championship takes being there week in and week out uh, to, to get the job done. So, and, you know, aside from my fantasy deal, uh, you know, that was unsettling to watch them not perform better at track that, that both of them have won at. Well, you're still much better at fantasy than I am, and you're also much better at uh, gambling than I am. So I'll put I'll put you on the spot and ask. I don't even know if you have a championship for at this point or have contenders for it. But are both of those guys still drivers, Bell and Byron, that you would probably put as maybe favorites for making Phoenix at this point? Yeah, you know, when you look at it, and I'll say right at this point in time, it's certainly Christopher Bell. Um, you know, he made it there last year, uh, and I think that he's capable each and every week. You have to put Byron there simply because of you know winning a couple of races at this point and the strength of Hendrick Motorsports that literally gives seems to give him an opportunity to win, to win week in and week out uh, whatever type of racetrack that that we may be on. So um, uh, you have to give strong consideration there. And, and you know if I were going to throw in another one, it, it would can't help but be Kyle Larson. But from that point on, gosh, I'm not sure that. I think all four spots are wide open, but uh, Larson is certainly, mm-hmm. to me, making himself uh, the favorite right now. But I, I would almost put Tyler Reddick in there right now. We, we keep talking about you know Reddick and Bell kind of being the face of the sport moving forward, the young guys that are that are there. And, and I can put, you know, I can add Byron in uh, on that also. So, you know, these are three drivers that we expect to start racing for championships in that final race. And, and uh, this could be that year. You mentioned uh, that you talked to some of the drivers, DJ, last week at uh, the NBC Sports NASCAR and NBC Production Days. Uh, Priest impressed you. Bell had some interesting comments. Anything else that you took away from anybody that you spoke with in Charlotte last week? Nothing out of the the norm from from the drivers um, that I spoke with or either listened in on uh, interviews that they were doing and, and things that they had to say. I'm just always amazed at the confidence in Joey Logano that he has in his race team and himself and how they finished second in that race yesterday. I'm not <laughs> sure, but you know, that that's what makes them championship contenders yeah. year in and year out and, and a two-time champion now uh, of the sport. And they, they just don't give up and, and keep battling and finding a way to put their driver up there. And then uh, Joey Logano is just a bulldog. He gets it done, man. You know, he's just impressive. And, and then to listen to Kevin Harvick, uh, talk about his last year and you know, what this means to him and how he would like to go out. He's been impressive to this point as far as showing more speed and being up front more. And, and I think that we're only going to see that get better. So most of the other drivers that I listened and talked with had kind of the normal things to say, uh, but those are the ones that kind of stood out. I agree with you. I mean, Logano keeps showing why he's the defending series champion and a two-time champion. And his crew chief, Paul Wolf, obviously made the the shrewd strategy call that that kept him out there uh, at the end of the race at Martinsville and helped him get that second place finish. But I want to end there, DJ, because Logano was one of a few who also had a lot of comments about the racing at Martinsville. There's a new low downforce rules package this year that NASCAR has implemented on the shorter tracks like Martinsville, Richmond, Phoenix, that is intended to produce more passing. But we heard some complaints from drivers who are unhappy about I think shifting is something that, that irks them a little bit. I think the tires, they don't feel like are wearing enough. They don't feel like there's enough horsepower. And we heard Denny Hamlin and Logano were two of the more outspoken drivers. And Denny Hamlin says, And we got these cup cars and somehow don't fall off a half a second in 80 laps. So it's just until we 
until we get lap time variation, I'm going to keep harping it and keep saying it yep. over and over and over. Yep. We're going to have track position racing. Single file, follow the leader, nobody can pass. We're in a box with these engines, you know, and and the, where NASCAR's leadership wants us to be on engines, they keep lowering horsepower, which yep. makes us have to shift. So I don't know that we're ever going to fix this until we put more horsepower in the cars or build a tire that somehow falls off. That we, we have to try something different because we can't just have follow the leader racing. This is not, I mean, man, you want to see passes for the lead, you know, and we're just not really seeing any of that right now. It's, it's frustrating from my standpoint because, damn, I'm as a driver, I do everything I can. Um, I drive the lead at these tracks, and I just, I'm like crossing my fingers. The caution doesn't screw us, or we don't lose the lead in pit, pit lane, or we don't lose it with a strategy call. And if you do, your race is done. I knew race was done. I'm restarting ninth with 60 to go. Like, that used to be nothing back in the day. You could just pull through. You could just go through the field, especially if your car was good. I, I knew my race was done. <laughs> when the 41 sped, it was like, well, he's done. We'll never see him again. And we laughed him. So, just crazy. Uh, obviously, I, this NASCAR will look at it. They, you know, they, they've got two eyes and two ears, and, and they'll see, you know, what we got here. And hopefully we can make something that uh, is better. But I think it starts with the engines, and then it goes to the tires next. The more you lower horsepower, the more you lower the gear, the less the tires will wear. So what's comes first, the chicken or the egg? And it's, I, I think maybe you could build a tire that, that would be better, but it, I think this kind of starts with the engine. But I, I don't know that, you know, the France family wants us running big horsepower anymore. So I just, if that's the case, and this is the engines that we've got, we have to work with Goodyear on coming up with some sort of tire that is better than what we've got. You know, Logano echoed those thoughts and said, It's just because there's not enough speed difference in the cars. They're all almost the same, and uh, there's not much fall off. Uh, so we need more fall off, and we need a lot more horsepower. We used to have a ridiculous fall off here. Yeah. We used to not be able to get wide open on a straightaway. You can blame it on the surface all you want, right? Richmond is always going to fall off, and, and I get that. But there used to be fall off. So we just got to go back and look to see what did we used to do, and let's do that again. <laughs> Somewhere it's written down. Somewhere is the formula. <laughs> Your take. DJ, on, on what we saw with the low downforce package at Martinsville, and d- does anything need to be addressed? Yes. I, I mean, you want to have good racing everywhere. Once you start taking downforce away from the cars, you start separating the field. and that, But it's not doing what – the drivers, I can't disagree with what they're talking about. Adding horsepower is not just something that everybody can do in the next two weeks. Uh, you're talking about a long time to make that happen. It, it can't even be done this year. I'm not even sure – exactly when it could get into next year because you're talking about the different parts and pieces that have to be made, manufactured, and, and tested uh, before all of that can take place. But but they're 100% right. The tires, you know, every decade uh, back to when, heck, maybe even all the way back to the 1960s when my dad was racing with Richard Petty and Junior Johnson and Fireball Roberts and all of them, they were probably complaining about the, the tires and you know, what they needed. and But that is the, the one constant and the one thing that can be changed. And, and I won't say it can be changed quickly. Uh, and I understand, look, I'm, I'm not 
saying anything negative about Goodyear because they have an impossible job, always have. And it's such a fine line and, and balance between having something that will wear and then having something that doesn't get to the point too quickly of the tires blowing out and creating crashes uh, that, that could injure these drivers. So the drivers have to understand that situation. But I also understand that, you know, when there's no more fall off than what, what there is, it's going to make for more strategy racing. And that's not really what the drivers are interested in. They're interested in raceability on the track, using their talents to get the job done and make passes. And they don't feel like they have that in their hands, especially at the short tracks right now. And that we've been through phases like this before, but hopefully Goodyear will be able to do that. The other side of it is now that they have such a much wider tire uh, than, than what's ever been on stock cars before. You, know, you, you have something there that, that Goodyear, I think, has to look at how that comes into play and, and things that they can do to, to get more fall off and, and put it in the driver's hands. So it's kind of unrealistic for the drivers, for all of us to think that you can build one race car that's going to perform at a half mile, a mile, a mile and a half, two miles, two and a half mile tracks. And oh yeah, we'll throw in the road courses too. That's going to be good at all of these places and just making subtle changes isn't going to be, but the, the tire is the one thing that you can change. Yes. Horsepower, but my last point about all of this is going to be that somehow, some way, shifting, get it yeah. gone. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's not what NASCAR stock car racing is about. I, I realize that the chassis is completely different and, and you can work around all of that. But having these drivers shift at Martinsville and, and all the other short tracks, heck, all the tracks. It should be road courses and maybe Pocono uh, because the, of the how that the layout of, of that racetrack may require that. But everywhere else, uh, it should not be done. I, I don't know how you go about just eliminating it other than the fact that every car has you, the capabilities of seeing inside there uh, and, and just saying that you can't do it. But it, it is, it's not what NASCAR racing should be about and the drivers shouldn't have to be doing that. Shifting on ovals doesn't really make a lot. Aside from Pocono, like you said, doesn't yeah. really make a lot of sense to me either. I mean, that shifting is about road courses, street courses. And I understand, like, I'm, I'm sure that there's no magic bullet here, but you know a lot more about driving cars than I do. Is it gearing? I mean, would that be like maybe the simplest way to just approach it, right? Yeah, I mean, that seems that way. You know, as far as the parts and pieces in the engine now, I mean, I know they're not turning nearly the RPMs that we did uh, at one time back in the the mid nineties to, to early two thousands. I mean, you know, we were, you know, up at 10,000 RPMs with the parts and pieces and, and, and with the gears that, that we ran, which yeah, I would think that there's some area in there that, that they could put more gear in these cars and, and turn some more RPMs. And, and that certainly changes and it, it doesn't give the engine more horsepower, but it gives the driver the feel that you have more horsepower. And so then it becomes a, a drivability part two and the drivers have to do their job. So again, without knowing all the workings, I, I probably should and need to make a call to Doug Yates and just, you know, have a 20 minute conversation. Not that I would understand 18 minutes of it, what he was talking about exactly, but he, he can make help to make me understand because he did for many years exactly uh, the challenges uh, that they would face in doing that. But it seems to be something just thinking about it, that, that would be a fix that you could do. You might come away with a little bit more of an idea than if you'd spent 20 minutes talking to Robert. 
as opposed to Doug. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, you, if you make that phone call, uh, come back on the podcast and tell us what you learned. I would, I would, I'm sure we would all love to hear uh, Doug Gates, who's obviously a genius, just like his father when it comes to engines. Just want to wrap up here, DJ, because again, you have the historical perspective and context. I and it might be that I spent Sunday watching a streetcar race in Southern California with Indy cars. That while it was a huge event, as one of our uh, production vice presidents like to say, big event, big energy. <laughs> I, there wasn't a lot of dramatic action. And I watched Martinsville this morning and I thought, I mean, this feels like a normal Martinsville race. It's, yeah. it's to me, Martinsville's always been about track position. And when I looked at the stats. Okay. A quick insert here into the NASCAR and NBC podcast, because I did not say these stats clearly. I want to make sure that they're clearly disseminated when people listen to this podcast. So Sunday's race at Martinsville Speedway had the most green flag passes at the track in eight years, that was 2,026 passes in Sunday's race at Martinsville Speedway, the most at the track in a cup race in eight years. Thanks to Zach Catanzaretti for that stat. And also want to thank Dustin Long for these stats. Again, according to NASCAR's loop data, Sunday's race had 2,026 green flag passes. That is more than the past two races at Martinsville Speedway combined. In the fall 2022 Martinsville race, there were 674 green flag passes. In the spring 2022 Martinsville race, there were 1,233 green flag passes. So that means there were combined 1,907 green flag passes in the 2022 Martinsville races combined. That was in 903 laps. And in Sunday's race at Martinsville Speedway, the first 2023 Martinsville race, there were 2,026 green flag passes in 400 laps. So there were more green flag passes Sunday at Martinsville in 503 fewer laps than there were across both Martinsville races in 2022. Okay, now back to my conversation with Dale Jarrett. So I understand people want more cautions. I understand they want more banging, more lead changes. But I, I guess like maybe I've just been following this stuff for too long. But like <laughs> I just when we start talk, starting to talk about fixing racing or fixing a track, I mean, to me, aren't some Martinsville races just going to be track position and strategy? And a lot of it is just like how drivers tend to race that day. If guys hit the setups right or if there's enough cars in the same window where they can race each other. Am I imagining things there, I guess? <laughs> no, you're, you're, no, you're exactly right. And, and that's, I didn't know the stat about the passes, the green flag passes. I mean, that's, you know, it, it's such a tough racetrack. And to put this many of the greatest race drivers in the world in stock cars on a half mile track, you're going to have that. And, and it's always been about getting track position. Yeah, there were times that, you know, you could have a, a dominant car and you could drive your way through if you made a mistake. But I can remember, you know, some of the times that I had what I thought was the best car that I ever had there. And I didn't win with that. I actually won with one that the time that I won, I didn't even I didn't have the best car. Uh, hmm. But uh, a strategy play to get tires uh, allowed me to drive back through the field and, and take the lead there. So, you know, the, the problem is <laughs> that we don't hear much from the winner about yeah. those things. It's always the guys that thought they should have won uh, or that we expect to win. They're the ones complaining because 
they thought they should win. And so they need changes to, to help them to, to be able to do that. You know, I, as I watched the race yesterday, um, I, I thought it was an entertaining race. Um, I didn't realize there were that many passes, but, but that's an incredible stat and, and just shows you that one thing we have to be careful of, and, and this can go all the way back to my era and eras before me, and, and listening to drivers wanting to make changes to the cars, it, it's not always the best thing. And, and I've been a little bit leery as we went to this lower downforce package uh, because it was something that they talked to the drivers about. That doesn't always give us as fans now and viewers the, the very best in, in the racing side of it. And then when it doesn't work, you know, they, they want to, you know, talk about how it didn't benefit them. So, uh, yeah, we have to be really, really careful there. I've thought that all year long, we've, we've seen some very good racing. And NASCAR stock car racing has, through the years, uh, been about some strategies. And, and that's where you have to get better at, at what you do uh, to adapt to different situations. I've got the utmost respect for Denny Hamlin. I think he deserves more of a voice because he's now a team owner as well. But yeah. when I look at how this race ended, and he stayed out. He was one of five drivers who stayed out, was in the top five with you know 50-something to go. The guy who took tires won the race. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, Grant Larson only took two tires, yes. but he won the race. Like Denny Hamlin was ahead of the winner and, and couldn't hold him off. I mean, yeah. like, like that's where I kind of struggle with. Like, <laughs> I understand where he's coming from and I understand, you know, in watching it, like what they're talking about in terms of, you know, we, we need it to be more lead changes. We need more passing. But I, to your point, like, I just feel like there's, some bias there that is inherent that you just, you have to recognize. Yeah. And, and when they talk about there was no passing, well, I realized Kyle Larson just took two tires, uh, which is what I thought Chase Briscoe should have done uh, with his <laughs> car. Uh, you know, you talk about having, understanding the situation uh, is as much as anything. And I couldn't be a crew chief. I know it's a tough call to, to make right there, but when you have a tire that you talk about and you know, doesn't have a ton of fall off, then four tires isn't going to benefit you in that short run that you have there. That tracking, not having to pass as many cars, but having that little bit of an advantage you get over cars that stayed out there and have older tires on. So uh, it, it's all about when you make the right strategy, you don't have, you don't hear drivers say, well, you, you couldn't pass. Uh, they were able to go past. Kyle Larson still had to go past the cars uh, that, yeah. that stayed out there and uh, they did that. You know, they, they had the right call and the right strategy. So, you know, we're always going to hear this. We're going to hear. And I agree. You know, it's great to hear Denny Hamlin. Uh, he has a great knowledge of this and, and understanding. But we're also talking to a frustrated driver that has not won this year and doesn't have. I, maybe that was his first really good run uh, that, that we can look at as far as a top finish uh, because he hasn't really contended for, for many wins to this point. So I think that he saw the opportunity was right there in front of him. And then, but it's great that we do hear him. Uh, it's just that you have to understand and, and put in perspective when we were talking to him because he didn't win again. Yeah. You got to take it with a grain of salt, which is uh, <laughs> much like uh, my final question to you. Uh, who's in your fantasy lineup for Talladega? <laughs> Who should oh my gosh. This is, you know, I don't, this is when we get in this, and it's a lot of fun uh, amongst us at, at NBC to, to see, you know, who does well uh, and, and pick that right lineup. But, you know, this is, I look at this as a week to save the ones that I want to have every other week. Um, and just take, you know, some people, but, you know, you, you, you look back and you think about it, it's pretty much a crapshoot anyway, but um, you, you look at people, 
you know, that that have a good opportunity. I mean, you, you take someone like Corey LaJoy, Michael McDowell, you, you can make a lineup that you wouldn't at a lot of other places, even though they they're very good race drivers, but you might not use them somewhere else. But but you take that that there's a good chance that they if they don't win, they could come out of there with a top 10 finish and you get points and you save, you know, some of your other uh top tier drivers uh for another day all right there you go the the Jarrett and associates perspective <laughs> on talladega which we always appreciate no money on. bad on this week's race no money bad on this week yeah, not that i that. do anyway i only advise yes that's right take that advice as well from Jarrett and associates <laughs> always i uh, love having you on the podcast dj thanks for being here absolutely thank you nate we appreciate dale Jarrett for joining us on the nascar and nbc podcast thanks to motorsports manager emily conboy senior associate producer aaron feldstein and production assistant Zach Tanzaretti for recording this episode, helping with the recording, production, and editing of the podcast. Thanks to Dustin Long for the audio clips. You can go to NBCSports.com to read more of Dustin's coverage from Martinsville. Also check out the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel for more of Dale Jarrett, Parker Kligerman, and Kim Kuhn discussing Sunday's race at Martinsville on NASCAR America Motormouths. And as always, you can find more news, columns, and analysis on NASCAR Talk and Motorsports Talk on NBCSports.com. Please visit NBCSports.com NASCAR or NBCSports.com motors. If you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send it to me on the Twitter at Nate Ryan. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow and Grow. Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner, too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now, he's rolling in the green. Like a... Like a good neighbor? Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor? State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.